Hello and welcome to In the Weeds. We're recording live from the Picky Weeds Esoteric Occult Boutique, located just south of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, in beautiful South Abington Township. Picky Weeds is the largest and most diverse boutique of its kind in Northeast Pennsylvania, with an increasingly wide variety of items for many traditions. In addition to items for sale, Picky Weeds hosts a wide variety of classes, events, and community-driven gatherings throughout the year. Picky Weeds is located at 105 Layton Road, South Abington Township, PA. Open Wednesday through Sunday, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. More information can be found at www.pickyweeds.com. That's P-I-C-K-E-Y-W-E-E-D-Z.com or on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. In the Weeds is the official podcast for Picky Weeds, where we strive to bring the community together with topics of interest, guest speakers, and informative discussions to benefit the entire community. If you'd like to be a guest speaker, either live or remote call-in, please visit www.pickyweeds.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page, find In the Weeds podcast guest application, click it, Copy and paste the text into an email with your contact information and send it to us at pickyweeds at gmail.com. Now, now let's, let's get, get in, in the weeds. weeds. Well, goodness gracious, guys, welcome back. It is season two, episode three, and John and I are here to talk to you about some books today and some practices that you might want to incorporate into your own personal practice. How are you doing this morning, John? I'm full of joy. Full of joy. <laughs> Raging to go. First day of the week. Yeah, I've tripped over everything, knocked everything off. I'm good. I got it out of my system. Yeah, so the Wednesday is our Monday, so yeah. you, can, you can imagine. Monday, Monday. Bella's already fed up with us. Just, just screw you guys. I'm just laying on the floor. She's very annoyed at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you bought out some Agrippa. Yeah, we've got a, a few books here, and, and uh, one of the things that makes us a little bit different than a New Age store is is some of the books that we carry. Uh, we import from around the world. Um, and so you may see some titles that maybe you're not familiar with. You've not seen them before. And I just, you may not recognize the value that's um, that's sitting on the shelf. Because you don't know what it's look. It's not your fault. You're just not anywhere else. So practitioners, you'll see a lot of books like these referenced in some of the books that you read. And um, some practitioners may be familiar with them. Um, but we thought we'd just uh, read some random excerpts out of uh, some of the more uh, higher-end texts. And it's, it's not the ones that you'll find in, in BAM or corporate stores or, or most any other New Age or metaphysical stores. Most of them are actually imports. Yeah, yeah we bring, bring them over from Germany and uh, France and Wales and England and um, it's one of the one of the things that differentiates differentiates. That's a big word in the morning. Goodness, too many syllables, <laughs> not enough time. <laughs> oh. So you know you've heard us reference Agrippa uh, several times, um, and this is uh, the Purdue version, the Purdue translation of Agrippa, which we have in the store right now. Um, and this just uh, I'm just going to do a random read through. Uh, just a few paragraphs of each one to kind of give you some idea of what might be on the top shelf. You might want to take a little deeper look at it. 
Uh, he says, um, and this is book two, uh, chapter 58. Thus the right hand signifies strength and makes oaths, which Numa Pompaluius said is consecrated to faith. The fingers are under the tutelage of Minerva, and the knees are given to Misericordia, because those who come to pray bend them. Some dedicated the navel to Venus as the seat of luxury. Others refer to it because it is the center to all the members, dedicated to Jupiter. Hence the effigy of an umbilicus is celebrated in the temple of Jupiter, Amon. Um, and there's a poem here. The mother of the gods watches over pipes and drums and choirs of women. Pallas loves harsh and horrible battles. Diana has the woods and pastures and the hunt. Juno has the humid air. Ceres gives wheat, searches for Osiris, her faithful husband in the banks of the wide Nile. Beautiful. And there was one other piece that we wanted to look at. Um, so this is chapter 60, book two. For example, the sun, the king of the stars, most full of light, receives from the intelligible world over all other stars because its soul is more capable of intelligible splendor for which reason if one wishes to attract the sun's influences they must contemplate the sun not only by speculating its outer light but also its inner light no one can do this unless they return themselves to the intellect of the sun and avoid that which is not similar seeing the intellectual and comprehending that intelligible light as with the corporeal eye with sensible light in this way, he will be filled with that splendor and light, which is a hypotype, impressing from the heavenly orb, receiving unto itself. He is endowed with this enlightenment. Truly, they are equal, as if being helped by it. On behalf of the vow, his intellect will follow that supreme brightness in all forms participating with it. When he is drawn from the light of the supreme degree, then his soul approaches that perfection and assimilates the spirits of the sun and reaches the virtues and enlightenments of the supernatural virtue and profits by their power if he has obtained faith in the first author. Therefore, you should especially pray for the power and approval from the first author himself, and not with the mouth only, but also with religious gestures and a suppliant mind. Pray abundantly, incessantly, and honestly, as he will enlighten the mind and remove darkness growing over our souls because of our bodies. God, that speaks beautifully of devotion. Yeah, so the, an Agrippa, you know, like Mark said, there it's not an Abrahamic text, but there is a lot of references. But there's references to everything, to the, to the Greek, um, to the Egyptian... To, to you know, all all across different mythologies, Roman, a lot of Roman you know, traditions, faiths, yeah. um, and that's why Agrippa is so important. But uh, he's yeah. am, he's amazing. His um, so for those of you who are coming to see Lindsay Lindsay for the astrology classes and coming maybe this weekend to have the reading, he speaks a lot about planetary elements. You know, especially if you're an herbalist or if you're working with gemstones, he talks about their planetary influences um, and how they were used then. So it's really going to be something you're going to find supremely interesting. And depending on the translation you get, like the Purdue is easily readable. It's really, really a really, really good translation. And then we have what the Black Letter Press. Yeah, um, the, translation. Yeah, the, the Tyson version. The Tyson version, yeah. and they are they're great. And I'll tell you why we kind of push these because 
even in some of the other translations, the font is still that old. What is that, Elizabethan Victorian? What what is that crazy font? And it's not easy to read, and the language is sort of of that period. Um, and you have to really you have to really suss out what the, what their meanings were because words have changed. Uh, we're not as eloquent as they were. Well, and we we're talk not. about we talk about gemstones all the time, and, and one of the most common questions in the store is. What stone is good for X and fill in the blank? Well, Agrippa answers those questions in book one. And, of course, I didn't grab book one when I came in, so I can't read anything. But But he um, talks about heliotrope. Yeah, bloodstone. Yeah. And so John says to me, heliotrope. I said, wait, that's a flower, but that also means blood. It's got sun. It's got, you know, an association with the sun, helio, helios. And so I said, I think he's talking about bloodstone. So I went and looked it up and went, sure enough, it's bloodstone. Right. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, he talks about herbs and their associations or correspondences with astrological influence. He talks about the influence of, of the divine through the celestial on down to the terrestrial and, then, you know, into us and, and explains how everything works. Um, and this is drawn from sources, you know, all over the world, the ancient world. A lot of it you have to, you know, kind of. Okay. Take with the grain when, of salt. Remember when it was written. Yeah. <laughs> you know, e- e- eagles don't don't subsist 100% on blood, and, probably. And not but. drinking water. But I kind of wonder when I'm looking at things like that, John, if that's an allegory. Yeah, if it's allegorical. It's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, and that, that speaks to me of the way the tribes were actually, they would partake yeah. of the kill before it was, it was given out and, and taken that part of the spirit of the animal. So I kind of wonder if it's allegorical too, but then you're looking at it and your eyes are crossing and you're going, what in the hell? Right. Are you serious right now? <laughs> yes. But, yeah. What do you have over there? I have Lilith Gender and Demonology by Stephanie Spoto, and this is an academic um, look at Lilith, you know, throughout kind of throughout the ages and the different writers about her. She talks a lot about how she's absent in Milton's poetry, things like that. But she starts the book, you know, with a bang, pretty much. She said, this book looks at the figures of the feminine demonic within the evolution of occult philosophy, particularly within early modern English demonology, and how demonological studies influenced and were influenced by current socio-political climates. Um, Within much Renaissance occult writing, non-Christian sources, including pre-Christian philosophy and um, Hebraic Kabbalah, were incorporated into a kind of a Christian worldview, affecting Christian systems of angelic hierarchies and the human's place within these hierarchies. English occult thought was shaped by continental writers and philosophers such as the guy we just mentioned, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. Um, uh, I'm going to kill some of these names, but it's Marsilio Ficino, um, Giovanni Piccodella Mirandola, and Leon, uh, Leon Medina, who are each concerned with and intrigued by the demonic and the existence of demons. One figure in particular <laughs> featured strongly in many of the demonological writings which were making their way into English occultism and that was Lilith so (laughs) she's kind of growling it out there (laughs) but she goes into all the different sources and there are different writers and references to um you know how the interplay down through the ages you can kind of see Lilith present in Hecate and Circe and um 
you know, the morning, and then she she has a lot of poetry in here, a lot of pieces by Milton that are kind of references to occult themes. It's a really, really, really good in-depth look at Lilith and the thoughts about her down through the ages and how she was actually twisted. You know, she was actually maligned um, as the Christians came into power because it's not what she was. So... If you want to know a little bit more about her, I would highly recommend Lilith, Gender, and Demonology by Stephanie Spoto. Excellent, excellent work. Very in-depth. Yeah, she's a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an amazing book. They don't, they Even, don't, they don't hand those out. No. No, you have to earn those damn things. <laughs> but the bibliography in this thing, and we always talk about this, the bibliography in this book is absolutely enormous. Um, so if you want to go a little more in-depth, because... She she reaches to these sources as sort of point of fact kind of statements, but the bibliographies are going to go even deeper. So you can use her bibliography and seek out these resources and know know the great Lilith in depth. Yeah, that's really once you find a, a, a good text like that, the bibliography itself is your book list. Yes, right. So you don't have to ask someone. Well, what's another good book? Just look where she drew from. There's going to be a ton more information there. That's why they're they're citing sources because take take the time to look through that. Asking, hey, so what's a good book? Well, if you have a good one like one of these, um, that bibliography is is your guide. Yes. Um, and so here's one. This is book four by Alistair Crowley. Uh, just random here. Uh, chapter four: the scourge, the dagger, and the chain. So we're 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 talking about magical tools, right? There's more than just the uh, dagger or a thame, right? It goes deeper. So the scourge, the dagger, and the chain represent the three alchemical principles of sulfur, mercury, and salt. These are not the substances which we now call by these names. They represent, quote-unquote, principles, whose operations chemists have found it more convenient to explain in other ways. But sulfur represents the energy of things, mercury, their fluidity, salt, their fixidity. They are analogous to fire, air, and water, but they mean rather more, for they represent something deeper and subtler, and yet more truly active. An almost exact analogy is given by the three gunas of the Hindus, sattvas, rajas, and tamas. Sattvas is mercury, equable, calm, clear. Rajas is sulfur, active, excitable, even fierce. Tamas is salt, thick, sluggish, heavy, and dark. But Hindu philosophy is so occupied with the main idea that only the absolute is worth anything, that it tends to consider these gunas, even sattvas, as evil. This is a correct view but only from above, and if we prefer, if we are truly wise, to avoid this everlasting wail which characterizes the thought of the Indian Peninsula. Good God, he's opinionated. <laughs> Everything is sorrow, etc. Accepting their doctrine of the two phases of the absolute, we must, if we are to be consistent, class the two phases together, either as good or as bad. If one is good and the other bad, we are back again in that duality, to avoid which we invented the absolute. The Christian idea that sin was worthwhile because salvation was much more while that redemption is so splendid that innocence was well lost is more satisfactory. St. Paul says, where sin abounded, there did grace much more abound. Then shall we do evil that good may come? God forbid. 
<laughs> but clearly, it is exactly what God himself did, or why did he create Satan with the germ of his quote-unquote fall in him? Instead of condemning the three qualities outright, we should consider them as parts of a sacrament. This particular aspect of the scourge, the dagger, and the chain suggests the sacrament of penance. The sacrament of penance. That sounds dire, doesn't it? That's, that's pay, crowly. Pay your penance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get over there, you scab. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do your bidding. There's a lot of opinions on Crowley, and, <laughs> you know, most of them are true. Um, but the, you cannot take away, you know, despite the theatrics and the public, you know, great beast, blah, blah, blah. He was a brilliant man, and he there was there. Philema is incredibly interesting. Uh, whether you choose to follow it or not, it's definitely worth studying um, yes. because there's a lot of value there, uh, in my opinion. Um, not a Philemite, but um, you know, I've studied quite a bit of it. It, it is very interesting, um, and you should study things that even if you don't practice them. Yes. It's just knowledge. Even if they offend you. Yeah, sure, absolutely. You should definitely study it if it offends you. Yep. Because that speaks to your trigger, and you need to address it. Yep. Yeah. Best way to broaden yourself. And uh, Crowley, I think that he just played to their, their faults. Oh, yeah. they, they wanted him to be the great beast, so he said, okay, I'll give you Fine. what you want. Fine. I'm a great beast. I'll, this I'll play is my scarlet part. woman, and boo. He was sort of like you know. Tombstone. I'll, I'm your huckleberry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an accomplished mountain climber. He was constantly, you know, challenging himself. Um, attempted rituals that, you know, demand. You know, the Apremelon is ridiculous, insane. Um, and but to dare, right? To know, to dare, to keep silent, to will, to will, to keep silent. Yeah, keep silent. I keep forgetting to will. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> but it's I kind have of important. Su- I have such a will. I'm kind of like Bella. I'm very hard headed. <laughs> So oh, once I'm on it, I'm on it like morning. a dog. <laughs> we were ready to choke her. So she had Lyme's disease. Yeah. And how, we don't know. But We know, never found a tick on her. But uh, she started getting real skin sensitive and was crying herself to sleep at night. So off to the vet we went. And um, was it Abington Veterinary Center? Yes, yeah. They love are them so much. Fantastic. Amazing vet. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the doc is just such an awesome guy that, you know, he knew that she was really skin sensitive and didn't want to hurt her, cause her more pain. This man crawled under this Rottweiler like it was a Ford F-150. He <laughs> laid on the floor of the exam room under and, her belly. and checked her. Like, all he needed was the mechanics creeper, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what the hell are you doing? But um, she's been on her... Um, doxycycline for what about three three and a half weeks weeks, yeah around that it's so and then she's gonna go protocol for i did the protocol with the um with some of the uh, astragalus root in the beginning couple of weeks because that boosts the immune system so high yeah so when this is all over because she's fighting me tooth and nail about taking her meds I have to make cookies with Japanese knotweed and Labrador tea. So I'm going to use the Labrador tea as my as my liquid and the Japanese knotweed as part of my flour and get the rest of her dosages in there. For She's her, as for hard-headed her as her mama. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't I don't I'll treat everybody else, but I'll suffer. I like, you know. We were using hot dogs which which work great until you get a smart ass that figures out there's a tiny little pill hidden in that hot dog and so she'll spit the pill out. Yes. And, and she'll eat around it. It will drive you crazy. And then throw the hot dog on the floor and growl at anybody if they try to pick it up. <laughs> even though she won't eat it. She doesn't want you to have it. An asshole. It's my damn hot dog. <laughs> so we had to resort to, to 
alchemy this morning. Yes, and, mixed her pills crushed in peanut butter with. <laughs> Don't say it out loud. That dog understands English. <laughs> yes, she does. I'm not saying anything else. Oh my god! Christ. But yeah, talking about will, will fall. That kind of will is the kind of will you need to work magic. The kind of will we talked about annoy on people the with last it. episode. You know, with Tim. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of will it takes to break a chemical dependency. You mm-hmm. know, that's the kind of will that you need to develop, and and it takes time and practice. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm really excited about the next book here that I'm about to introduce. Um, it's called Rod and Ring. Oh, that's a good one. For those of you who, like me, are ever enchanted by things Mesopotamian, the idea, the ideals, the mystical rites and rituals of summer, you know, so... I mean, there's more than just Pazuzu? Uh, yeah, God. <laughs> I love him, though. I do. He got a bad rap in yeah, The Exorcist. Yeah, he, he got robbed in that movie. Yeah, he really did. Completely it's not him at all. misrepresented. If anything, it would have been his wife, like, torturing the children, and he would have been there to protect, mm-hmm. her, protect them from her. So, uh, But in The Rod and Ring, an in, initiation into a Mesopotamian mystery tradition, he talks about, um, here's a quote from page 22. History remains silent about the mystery religion and schools that could have evolved to include the gods and customs of the people of Summer, Akkad, and Babylon. If these existed, knowledge of them has eluded us, or has yet to be translated. Even among the mystery traditions popularized by the Greeks and Romans, nothing can be found that extends to the religious traditions of the Sumerians, Akkadians, Babylonians, or Syrians. The primary purpose of this work is to fill that void and to lay the framework, should one choose to explore that avenue, for which an initiatory mystery tradition may be derived from and provide modern approaches and applications of the religious and magical practices of the past. The second purpose of this work is to reconcile some of the differences among Sumerian, Akkadian, Babylonian, and Assyrian traditions in a cohesive manner. Careful research and consideration has been made to include historical and factual information for one's reference. I have also included Sumerian and Akkadian terminology and context for why these terms are used within the text. So he's used some of his own personal notices for the book as well, but he has tried to base this all in, you know, what has come down to us in the form of writings, statuary, you know, funerary pieces, practices, um, lore that can be sussed out. But as you guys know, we're still uncovering much of this with archaeology today. Yeah, it's kind of a rough place to do archaeology. It is. It is very, especially it's just, it's always in conflict. So this book is quite incredible there are some really really great pieces in here um some of them translations some of them written based on personal gnosis and understanding of the traditions as it were you know what we have in the historical record um it's it's not a complete historical record i don't think there are very many of those um i think about the closest we're going to get to one that's complete with historical tradition as far as the practices the in, and the inner workings is probably going to be the Vedic text and stuff like that. But he goes into the cuneiform and he's talking about the symbols and what they mean um, and how they are still kind of occult, you know, because even though what looks like one symbol, I want to say the sun symbol, Shamash, 
it's it's, it's symbolized by a solar disc, disc. It can it can relate to other things. So it's like a lot of languages. Like Eng- the English language is kind of a muddy language, as it were, and we'll have one word that'll mean fifty different things. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's you know it's it's or, or we'll have fifty different words to describe one thing, whereas these languages are very succinct. And they can point to different scenarios, different situations. Um, it can be an adjective, it can be a verb, it can be a noun, and all be one word. They were very succinct languages. They were, um, how do I put this? I think that they were, you know, time was short. They didn't live as long as we did. They didn't have time to have all this flowery language and BS in their manner of speaking. They were very direct. Um, but he goes into a lot of that and goes into a lot of poetry that they have pulled um, from summer, so I want you guys to take a look at this book. It's it's really quite amazing, and I think he did an absolute job, good job of sussing out what he could from the historical record, and maybe giving you a primer for a good initiatory practice here. But check it out; it's called Rod and Ring by Samuel David, um, and it's from Anathema. So this one is another one of the overseas one. Um, this is by William Butler Yeats on magic and the occult. Love this man. And so this book is a lot of prose, um, but the prose, uh, you know, has a lot of good information in it too. Even if it's just inspirational, um, a lot of it goes much deeper than that. Uh, you know, Yeats was you know very much a practitioner, and um, I believe Golden Dawn. I think so. I think he was a Golden Dawn member. Pretty sure he was. Uh, Pretty influential. Um, This one is, let me just random here. We're doing Uh, bibliomancy this morning. uh, Yeah, I just don't have a question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Shadowy Waters, and this is from 1906. Dedication to Lady Gregory. Oh, Lady Gregory. I walked among the seven woods of cool, Shanwala, where a willow bordered pond gathers the wild duck from the winter dawn. Shady Kaldortha, sunnier Kalnagno, where many hundred squirrels are as happy as though they had been hidden by green boughs, where old age cannot find them in the Bella Snore. <laughs> where hazel and ash and privet blind the paths, dim Park Nakeg, I'm sure I'll be corrected on that, Irish. <laughs> Where the uh, wild bees fling their sudden fragrances on the green air. Dim Park Natarov. Keep, keep putting it in there. Where <laughs> you read en- the passage. <laughs> enchanted eyes have seen immortal, mild, proud shadows walk. Dim inchy wood that hides badger and fox and marten cat and borders that old wood. Wise Biddy Early called the Biddy wicked. Early. The wicked wood. Yeah. Seven odors, seven murmurs, seven woods. I had not eyes like those enchanted eyes. Yet dreamed that beings happier than men moved round me in the shadows and at night. My dreams were cloven by voices and by fires and the images I have woven in this story. A forgale and dectora in the empty waters moved round me in the voices and the fires and more... I may not write of, for they that cleave. The waters of sleep can make a chattering tongue, heavy like stone, their wisdom being half silence. How shall I name you, immortal, mild, proud shadows? I only know that all we know comes from you. 
and that you come from Eden on flying feet. Is Eden far away, or do you hide from human thought as hares and mice and conies that run before the reaping hook and lie in the last ridge of the barley? Do our woods and winds and ponds cover more quiet woods, more shining winds, more star-glimmering ponds? Is Eden out of time and out of space? And do you gather about us when pale light, shining on water and fallen among leaves, and winds blowing from flowers, and whir of feathers, and the green quiet have uplifted the heart? I have made this poem for you, that men may read it before they read of Forgiel and Dectora, as men in the old times, before the harps began, poured out wine for the high, invisible ones. Ooh, beautiful. And you can see we're totally unscripted here because <laughs> we're struggling with the language. <laughs> yeah, I and was. The, I was. Snor- <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, but, Bella. We're here for you. It's your but world. We're just, we're just picking living in it. excerpts at random for you guys. <laughs> uh, some at random. This one, not so much. This is from The Magic of the Orphic Hymns, a new translation for the modern mystic by Tamara Lucid and Ronnie Pontiac. And so I wanted to start here because this is what struck me, is that even poor Orpheus had to go underground. So Orpheus went underground as Europe fought the long war between the Catholic Church and the Protestant nations. But we find him again as the Elizabethans begin their own cultural renaissance. Orpheus with his lute was the name of a popular Elizabethan song. Sir Francis Bacon in his Of the Wisdom of the Ancients from 1609 wrote that Orpheus was the perfect symbol of philosophy. John D. had Orpheus on his bookshelf, and he owned much of his own approach to ritual iambilicus. Shakespeare offered his own succinct version of the myth, emphasizing the magic of music, he said. Orpheus with his lute made trees, and the mountaintops that freeze bow themselves when he did sing to his music, plants, and flowers. Even sprung, ever sprung as sun and showers, there had made a lasting spring, Everything that heard him play, even the billows of the sea, hung their heads and then lay by, and sweet music is such art, killing care and grief of heart, fall asleep or hearing die. Oh, I love it. Isn't that beautiful? In Henry VIII, Shakespeare includes not a hymn of Orpheus, but a hymn to Orpheus. He mentions Orpheus in three other plays, Merchant of Venice, Rape of uh, Lucretia, and two gentlemen of Verona. And at the wedding of Frederick V, uh, Elector Palatine, figurehead of the Protestant Union, and Princess Elizabeth, the daughter of King James, Love's Labor Lost. And many other plays were performed by Shakespeare's own company, The King's Men. The entertainment also include a, included a ballot. A ballot, a ballet, a ballot, ballot, ballot. <laughs> a ballot, 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 a ballet about Orpheus criticized as poor God. None of us can get away with anything, but they criticized it as several hours too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even poor Shakespeare. You people are rough. Okay. People are just hard on the artists. They really are. Oh my God. It's always somebody got some <laughs> whiny shit. Shut the fuck up. Oh. I, th- I found that really, really funny. So I, d- I just wanted to say something about that. But the um, the loving but ill-fated marriage of Elizabeth and Frederick and their ill-advised acceptance of the invitation to become king and queen of Bohemia briefly provided a hothouse-like environment for the development of Rosicrucianism and European mis- metaphysical religion. 
in one of the pageants um, staged in the Palantine for Elizabeth's Delight, Orpheus actually wrote a unicorn. So that book is really, really interesting. I've pulled a couple of the poems from this book off for the board because, you know, we do the daily message board out in the front hallway. Some of these are just so freaking perfect. Like there's hymns to Athena. I mean, it's Hecate, terrifying Hecate of the crossroads, friend of the dead, saffron shrouded ghost seen by barking dogs. These are some of the poems in here. They're excellent. Queen of the Blackest Night, Torch Held High. You walk beside Demeter, searching for Persephone. You work from afar, weaving spells of water, earth, sky. You catch every eye in fatal trance. Each night, drawn by bulls of mist, you shine light across the sky. Filled with your fire, stags rattle antlers. Mother of sorcery and witchcraft, of spells and superstitions, you are the black puppy and the black she-lamb. We offer you eggs and red fish. Love it. Do too. It's amazing. It's a great book. Let's see. This last one is uh, The History of Magic by Eliphas Levi. Love him. Or Levy, as some people like to call him. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. We're just going to do uh, random chapter six. Uh, let's see. Random. <laughs> Random. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Five dollar words in a nickel sentence. <sighs> um, the astrolite is the living soul of the earth, a material and fatal soul controlled in its productions and movements by the eternal laws of equilibrium. This light, which environs and permeates all bodies, can also suspend their weight and make them revolve about a powerfully absorbent center. Phenomena, which have been so far insufficiently examined, though they are being reproduced in our own days, prove the truth of this theory. To the same natural law must be ascribed those magical whirlpools in the center of which enchanters located themselves. It explains the fascination exercised on birds by certain reptiles and on sensitive natures by others which are negative and absorbent. Mediums are generally diseased creatures in whom the void opens and who thus attract the light as abysses draw the water of whirlpools. The heaviest bodies can then be lifted like straws and are carried away by the current. Such negative and unbalanced natures whose fluidic bodies are formless can project their force of attraction, delineating by this by this means supplementary and fantastic members in the air. When the celebrated medium home makes hands without bodies appear in his vicinity, his own, his own hands are dead and frozen. It may be said that mediums are phenomenal beings in whom death struggles visibly against life, as much may be concluded in the case of enchanters, fortune tellers, those with the evil eye, and casters of spells. Consciously or unconsciously, they are vampires who draw the life which they lack and thus disturb the balance of the light. When this is done consciously, they are criminals who should be punished, and when otherwise, they are still exceedingly dangerous subjects from whom delicate and nervous people should be carefully isolated. She- Jesus, tell us how you really feel. Right? Good God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have said I think they live with one foot in each world, but damn it, that's not rough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Somebody pissed him off. Porphyry tells the following story in his life of Plotinus. Among those who profess philosophy, there was a certain Olympias who was of Alexandria and for a time disciple of Ammonius. He treated Plotinus with disdain, being ambitious to surpass him in repute. He sought also to injure him by magical ceremonies, but having found that the attempt reacted on himself, he admitted to his friends that 
the soul Oops. of Plotinus must be one of great power, since it could turn back on his enemies their own evil designs. Yes. Plotinus was conscious of the ha- hostile attempts of Olympias, and there were times when he said suddenly, now he is having convulsions. <laughs> This kind of thing being repeated and finding that he was afflicted himself with the evils which he would have wrought on Plotinus, Olympia ceased to persecute. Equilibrium is the great law of the vital light, projected with force and repelled by a nature more balanced than our own. It comes back upon ourselves with equal violence. Absolutely. Woe, therefore, to those who would employ natural powers in the service of injustice, since nature is just and her reactions are terrible and then lovely and some of us need to hear that mm-hmm. yeah this is one of the things i ask a lot when people want to do a course i'm like <laughs> jesus how practiced are you how aware of you of the ramifications of what you were about to undertake yeah how practiced are just you? just don't how ready are you <laughs> yeah just don't because there's very very rare circumstances where a course is called for And it's only when innocence has been harmed, and there seems to be no justice for that innocent. And somebody needs to meet it out. But you have to ask the the eternal question, is it me? Because it always has blowback, guys. And you always, I don't care how right you are, how righteous your decision is, you're going to get some on you. And you might get some on the people that you love. So make sure you're practiced. And the whole point to this was just to give you just a taste you know, that there's not just the 101 spell books or the introduction to Wicca. There, there's a, a, a limitless land of knowledge, and you just have to jump in somewhere and, and just start researching, start reading. It's enjoyable. It is. You know, and it, you'll, you'll have moments where you'll read a particular passage and you'll put the book down and you'll say to your mate or your friends, oh, my God, listen to this. Yeah, like at the end of you book know, two for Agrippa. Yeah. I was just, I was in tears. I was like, he yeah. sees dad the way I see dad. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it, it's validating. It's more validating than, than the, the plastic shaman books that are on the market, you know. And, and the study, you, you start to become something else. You know, it's like a, like a ritual, you know, even if it's one that you wrote. So was, if you write it down and you read it off a flashcard or a piece of paper, okay. But if you if you take that to heart, and this could be a rite, a ritual, uh, you know, like the LBRP, the Lesser Banishing Ritual, the pentagram, something simple like that, or or something more elaborate uh, like the Bornless, or or one that you've written yourself. Those are the those are the best. They come from the heart. It comes from you. Um, but go a step further than just reading it off a piece of paper, memorize it, internalize it, and notice the difference in the power. And not just once, but every time that you read it or do it, perform it, um, it takes on a life of its own. And it it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And you'll start to feel something a little indescribable. You know, it's, it becomes a part of you. Like the LBRP, when I was learning, it was just reading the words, getting the pronunciations accurate, doing those things. But then later, as you incorporate it, <clears throat> you feel an inspiration mid-ritual, and you just let it fly. Um, I felt the center of my palms vibrating. Yes. You know, especially at the Kabbalistic cross part. 
you know, uh, you, you literally like somebody is got a big bass speaker focused pinpoint in the middle of my palm i can feel the vibration you know like some of the rituals we had the Samhain ritual where it was it was an auditory um thing uh, i don't know what to call it phenomena yeah there was where a few, the, yeah. the the words were being said at the top of the mountain at the fire at in darkness the only the only light being the the, the bone fire um and you could feel it reverberating like it was reverberating off of a of a membrane like yeah. it was absorbing uh the the audio energy like it was vibrating with it and that's something that was new i'd never experienced that before i caught on fire yeah I'm a on candle fire. a candle blew up i know you're doing great yeah Oh my God! No, really, motherfucker! I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Move. <laughs> well, they, you know, the observers saw the, the there was no wind and the flames were straight up in the air. And as the bright began, the, all the flames tilted towards us, and we didn't see it. Our backs were turned to it, but that's that's what was said. And yeah, yeah. Thankfully, the cloaks were wool. <laughs> yeah, because it was definitely on fire. Rayon would have been a bad night. Yeah, I'd have been. It'd have been a hospital kind of night. Have mercy. So you know, th- this this is an aid to practice. This is this is how you develop. You know, it's one thing if you're brand new and you you get a starter book. That's great. You know, read those things. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with them. But there's so much deeper knowledge out there. Um, start to study hermetics. Start to study Thelema. Start to study all of the the authors. You know, it doesn't even have to be as old as Agrippa. You could be, uh, you know, Crowley. You yeah. know, things just study, learn, and it, it becomes a passion, not just an aesthetic. There's and, so much more than aesthetic. And I want to say that sometimes you're doing a ritual. Um, and you're doing it on the daily if you're a ceremonial practitioner. So this is something that you plot out time for. You set aside time for it every day because the end result several months from now is conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel. Um, and that's, you know, that's that higher self, that higher beingness that sees everything that you've been through and sees where you are right now and can help you plot a clearer path for the future just in conversation, just in having conversation with that part of your beingness. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then there's philosophy. Philosophy is fantastic partner with learning the esoteric. You know, I, I like Nietzsche. Sorry. Yeah, I really do like Nietzsche. Um, I giggle he, at him. Constantly. He's an angry man, but you know, it's it's uh, you know, a lot of it's well deserved. Uh, uh, <laughs> they had it coming. Yeah, there's the, read the philosophy, read the the cultural traditions. You know. Re, you know, read up on yoga, read, read up on the, the practices, because thankfully Sanskrit, you know, this stuff was documented. So you don't have to worry so much. You still have to be diligent in your sourcing um, because modern books, there are so many that have taken shortcuts or have, have are putting out erroneous information. Uh, so Just to sell. Especially true with, you know, Irish tradition. Yeah, you know, oh, my God. It's been so... Native American. Oh, you know, indigenous. Any, any kind of indigenous cultural, there's so much appropriation and there's so much bullshit that you really need to uh, find the source of those things. And, 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 you know, find other practitioners. Like Mark had mentioned, 
you know, one of the best things you can do is to find a group. So even if it's just a one person meets another person, it's a, you have someone to bounce ideas off, somebody to talk to, somebody to work with. All right, so this week I'm going to read, or however long it takes you to read, month, whatever, I'm going to read up on uh, Crowley. And then, okay, so if you're going to do that, I'm going to read Eliphas Levi. And then at the end of the period, we'll swap. And, and then I'll read it. And then we'll compare notes and we'll have yeah. a conversation. And you're educating yourself. Yes. You know, and you're developing more. And I know this sounds great and people are like, yeah, that's a great idea. And they never do it. Yeah. You have to do it. You have to do the work. And, and if it's boring, you incorporate some of the practices in these books. Or if it's boring, yeah. you switch <laughs> subjects. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not the subject. It doesn't, there's no set rules. Um, it's just getting out there and, and curling up with a book. At the end of the day, even before you go to sleep, even if you only read a chapter, um, you're you're developing yourself and you're de- developing your knowledge base from which to draw on. The best rituals are inspired like like that. You know, yes, you read are. something that inspired you, um, and you want to do a rite or you want to do a dedication or you just want to have a conversation with your ancestors or with the deity. Um, th- these books have so much knowledge in the pages you know and and to just walk by them uh because this one has a fairy on the cover um is really doing yourself a disservice it is you're letting your, you're letting your practice down too and your ancestors because you're you're standing on their backs and you are the manifestation of their highest will and you need to try to carry that forward and one of the things i wanted to say if you really want to know about a cultural tradition and they're still living beings in that cultural tradition. Go talk to them. And don't go talk to them, to, you know, with the, I want to learn about your magic. <laughs> no. That's not how this works. Go talk to them conversationally about their history and then their practices. And actually really go at it with sort of a scholarly mindset that you honestly want to know them, what they think, how they feel about certain things. And how they do things and why they did them. And you'll be amazed if you go at them from that point of view, how willing they will be to talk to you. There's a whole series that was done by Sarah P. Duke Gardens in North Carolina of native practitioners. And the way that they use sweet grass, sage, the sacred herbs and plants, you know, what the... What the sisters were, I won't say anymore, but there's like three sisters. Um, what the sisters were, how the animals got their names. Um, it's an amazing series, and it's on Serapy Duke Garden's um, website from uh, North Carolina. And there are natives of several traditions speaking in that platform um, in those recordings about their practices. It's not just one tribe. So, and I think that's one of the things we really want to see here at the Weeds is practitioners coming together and comparing notes. No, yes. there's a lot of closed practices, and that's fine. Maybe there's something in general that you could help somebody with. You know, if you're an experienced practitioner and someone asks you a question, you don't have to, you don't have to break vows. You no. know, I, that's understandable. Some things are a closed practice. That's just the way they are. They're familial. They're traditional, and we need that tradition. And it's yes. important, and you know some things need to be earned, and that's the way it should be. Yes, it is. But that doesn't mean you can't give them some general advice or where to start to look or um, a little general overview. You know, you don't have to go into specifics on your particular practice and how you do A, B, C, D, whatever. But 
give them uh, give them a taste you know yeah. and or give them an answer as to why it's closed the idea is yeah. to keep it alive yeah and you know, we keep things alive by talking about by them. talking about it by bringing it out and having conversations and meeting new people um, one of the primary reasons we even started picky weeds wasn't to sell candles it was to bring the community together and, and granted we've we've got some issues in the community like all communities do every community no matter what what the subject matter is has problem people and we weed those out those aren't the people we're concerned with we're we're concerned with the people that have truly something to offer um and and you have a lot of learned people in in nepa this this area is chock full of practice all across the world practice santa morte there's a what yoruba there's a riches or not riches but um Santeria, there, all of all of that has representation. You know, people who practice with a Greek pantheon, people who practice with an Irish pantheon, people who practice with an indigenous pantheon, and some people who mix it all together and they're eclectic. As long as you're respecting the the culture and doing it correctly, uh, I don't see an issue with that. I don't either. I love you know, that. It's the incorrect, Actually. you know, cultural appropriation where you, you, you change these things that I have an issue with. Um, but as long as you are doing your homework correctly, cool. Meet someone else. If someone, you know, is in the store and, you know, maybe you wanted to know more about Santa Morte. Oh, and yeah. you know, you know, oh, I, I, I heard that. Um, what's her call? What you call it? She, she practices Santa Morte. Well, maybe have a conversation. You yeah. know, introduce yourself. Yeah. You know. This is how we do it. This know, is how we learn. Yeah. Yeah. What do the Christians call it? Fellowship. Fellowship. But that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, and in their practice, that's that's great. That's how you you talk. They talk about their their deity. They talk about their belief systems, and maybe you have a different opinion, and then you can explain where you get that opinion from. It's called a conversation. Yeah. They're doing it right. We need to do the same. We need to open up with each other and stop being, I don't know, competitive or or who can be more oogity boogity, whatever. Yeah, and, let's stop and that. Open, it's childish. Open up and have a conversation, an honest, yeah. open conversation, and you might meet make a friend. Yeah, and those two friends might meet another one, and then pretty soon you have a whole circle practicing together. Yeah, and you don't all have to be interested in the same thing. You know, and it's even actually more powerful if people have different interests and different, yeah, and then absolutely. you can come together and everyone can learn from everyone. That groups are so important, and we have to keep the traditions alive. That's the best way to do that is to, um, you know, just share. Yeah. You know, you don't have to share the secrets. Yeah. But there's a lot of general stuff that, that would really benefit someone who, honestly, I remember what it was like. You know, Chris. Chris and I met in a in a working for DOC. You know, I didn't know anything. Yeah. And you know, he, he didn't know much either, right? But we we got some from our elders. We we did what we could, what what felt good. We went to the woods. We put in the work. We we recognized the holidays, um, and we took it seriously. Like it wasn't something we do whenever it yeah. it was we were pretty devout yeah you know and and yeah some of the things we were devout about turned out to be incorrect information well that's okay that's how you learn yeah and and we did 
we, we changed, we evolved. Absolutely. And as you're evolving, you meet other people that are evolving and you have a conversation. It's know? always best to try to find people who can mentor on that subject too. Oh, yeah. Um, like so that you know that you're not getting fooled, um, so that you know that you're being respectful. Um, be passionate. Be passionate about what it is you do. Um, you're passionate about your family and protecting your family and who you love. Um, be the same way about your ancestors. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. You know, I mean, I, we know people that do daily devotionals. Oh, my God. It, and that's amazing. I'm one of those. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we both are. We both do daily devotionals. And and it's it's as simple as taking time out of your day and remembering um remembering yeah you know remember your ancestors remember your loved ones that have crossed remember the uh, you know if you if you do have a pantheon remember the gods the goddesses yeah their if stories you're, if you're yeah. a christian you 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 do that yeah you know and there's nothing wrong with that we're all basically just f f put in deity x you know we're not all that different no and and that's the shame of it all is that you know, a lot of the Abrahamic preach this that they're the only ones, but so many religions do that. Yes, and it's not necessary. No. You, can, you can learn a lot from them too. They can be you open know. to us. We can be open to them. We have a lot of Christian customers who oh, we're God. very open with. I love them. They're awesome. Um, but it's it gets into sort of a cultic behaviorism with some sects. And that's what you have to be kind of careful of, because once you've gone insular like that with a cult, you're not you're not going to learn anything. Oh, you've closed yourself yeah. off, and, yeah. and that's just it's, it's detrimental yeah. to growth. You know, it's a lot like somebody that never travels. Mm -hmm. They have a very set opinion, uh, opinion of everything. Yeah, and all one hundred percent of that opinion is based upon their experience in one place. Mm -hmm. They 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 don't go anywhere they don't travel they don't talk to people that are from other countries they're foreigners small minds are rooted in smallville yeah, what did mark twain say that the i can't remember the quote exactly but something to the effect that travel is the greatest antidote antidote yeah. to uh, bigotry and racism mm -hmm. and, and that's very true you know yeah. we've lived all over the country and maybe that's why we have that view yeah uh, so we've lived in you know different different cultures and different um locations and I know there's people that travel way more than we have. And, oh, yeah. And you can tell, you know, because their opinions are a little bit more open. Yeah. Um, They're a little bit more receptive to people. Yeah. 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 And whereas someone who has lived in the same place, their parents lived in the same place, their grandparents lived in the same place. Why is your hair green? They don't travel. Everything's everything's unusual if it doesn't fit. we got to break that mold. You've got a ring in your nose. We do that to, we know, do that to bulls. You shouldn't do that. So, yeah, you know, if a, a woman comes in the store dressed in white and, and, and with her headdress on, you know, we yeah. know who that is. Yeah. Some people might look at her funny. And we think she's beautiful. But she's gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, we should yeah. maybe listen and see what she has to say. Yeah. You know, that, that different perspective, that cultural tradition um, is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And and someone who has lived in the same place the whole time may or may not have that opinion that, what's all that? What's all dressed in white? Well, if they listen to Why do we go to southern the, accent when we do that? I know. <laughs> well, because we're so used to it from down there, but... The funny thing about it is, is most of the time they'll walk in, and if their head is covered, they'll immediately assume they're a terrorist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the best and most loving conversations I had was a woman in a full hijab. 
Yeah, and I'm like, that was no, it wasn't yeah. just a, it was a burka. Yeah, well, she had a burka and a hijab. Yeah, um, but it's it's amazing. We held hands, we talked, we laughed. You know, we had part, a good time. Part of you, from a Western perspective, is is mad because why are you subjugating yourself? Yeah, you know, for this, but that's our belief system. Yeah. Who are we to judge? Yeah, and she you was the, she was the sweetest lady, just as absolutely loving and oh god, yeah, 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 sweet, sweet lady. And that has happened to me in the south. I was in um, I was in a store there. It was actually a candle store um, with my mom, and a lady walked in in a full burqa, and the little girl she was with had her head covered. And those women treated her like oh, it pisses uh, me off. Oh, it made me some ass. Treat them like shit. <laughs> and I no. I went right up to her and helped her and. Was like commenting on the on the little girl's Mickey Mouse ears on top of her outfit. It was the most adorable thing, and I made friends with her and helped her out. And they were looking at me like I was shit on a shingle. Yeah, because you don't and, fit their norm. And so I turned yeah. around. on this is back when I was a lot mouthier, and I went, "What? <laughs> <laughs> Bring it, meat." Yeah, there was a time when I had to grab Tay by the britches and haul her ass back in the car because she was going to go to somebody's ass. <laughs> Chase the guy through the parking she lot. She is way calmer now. Although I still stand by, there are still men running in North Carolina that haven't looked back yet. They deserved it. Yeah. They had it coming. Get what you get. Concrete shovel upside the head. Jesus. Don't touch me. <laughs> oh, my God. But get, get out there. Expose you know yourself to these practices, to these people, to these traditions. You don't pass judgment. That's not the that's that's not the point. No. And life is much easier when you're more loving and, and you're more open. And you'll find your judgment is a little altered after yeah. you get to know them and you have that internal realization that, oh my God, they're really smart. Yeah. Oh my God, they're really cool. Or oh my god, I was such an asshole. God, why did I think that? <laughs> why did I think like that? What yeah. what what I mean, because I grew up in a tiny ass little town in Michigan. And, you know, I'm sure everyone experienced something similar if you come from a small town. But everybody thought they were fucking awesome. <laughs> they were fucking badass. Yes. You know, badass. I'm the best football player in the world. Dude, there's 90 people in our graduating class. Yes. Maybe sit down. Somebody out in the world is bigger, better, and meaner than you. Uh, you Trust know, me. The, and there's people that have lived in that town their whole life. They still live in that town. They Their parents lived in that town. Their grandparents lived in that town. The farthest they go is Flint. That's like, woo, metropolis. We went to the big city, y'all. Yeah, so we watched the crack houses burn. <laughs> you know, don't drink the water. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. It made you strong. That yeah, you can't, you can't be, I can't be killed by conventional <laughs> weapons. It's that good Flint water. And yeah, you got lead in your veins, Johnny. I glow in the dark. We don't even need nightlights. <laughs> But um, well, that yeah. was from our time at the nuke plant. But you had to get out of that that small town mentality. Yeah, you really do. What is Frank? What is the chairman of the board called? Those little town blues. Those little town blues. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, you know, yeah. he got to the city and they're fading away. Yes. You know, my first experience in New York was eye opening. You know, yeah, the, I loved it. The cultural diversity, the craziness. Nobody yeah. bats an eyelash because no. it's like whatever. But if that same person in the in the Stars and Stripes uh, speedo was walking through Millington, Michigan, he might get some looks. He might. You know, he but, might get chased but, by uh, a raised up truck. The, yeah. What was that the naked cowboy or whatever was saying? Yeah. That but uh, you know. You don't have that in rural Michigan. <laughs> no. 
and depending on the time of the year, it might not be a good idea. I love those places where you can just be yourself. But New York's like that, and yeah. and you know, it's you're hungry for Thai food at three in the morning. Some places open. Yeah, Las Vegas was like that. You know, I thought I would hate it. I loved it. And it's that city culture. And mm-hmm. is city culture perfect? No, no. There's there's some issues. There's yeah. some plus sides to living in Millington. Yeah, you know, it's quiet. You can leave your door unlocked. Uh-huh. No, you know, nobody nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody's got anything. Um, and it's the the small town where they they kind of dote on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time they talk shit about each other and stir drama. That's yeah. just small town politics. Yeah, but you have to expand your horizons. Is the point? I do miss the feeling you know? of community where you knew everybody and everybody knew you, and you had to get along because if you didn't get along, you might need them on the farm next week. And guess who's not going to help your ass because you were a dick yeah yeah so you had to learn how to get along in those small insular communities and they would say things that you didn't agree with and you would suss it out between the two of you and and get back to business the next day because you had to you had you had to rely on each other and i think as a broader world community we need to remember that people are always going to say something that's going to piss you off or it's going to irk you or it's going to trigger you and you have to decide if you need them or not, because well, we all need each other, and honestly. If it, if it triggers you or pisses you off, maybe you need to take a little introspective look yeah. as to why. Yeah, why does that bother maybe you? Maybe you have a narrow worldview. Yeah. Maybe you're looking at things from a very narrow perspective, and maybe, okay. And that's something that I learned, because mm-hmm. I used to get like, okay, well, fuck you. Yeah, you, yeah, know? you did. It was, it was but, funny. <laughs> you know, n- now it's a little different. You know, it's like, okay, why does that trigger me? Yeah. And you take a little look at yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm not as traveled as i thought i was you know and maybe pick up a book and read or maybe you know grab the family and go somewhere you know immerse yourself in the culture and and don't try to change that culture to fit your perspective but just immerse yourself in it enjoy it it's different it's 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 out of your comfort zone it's out of your out of your area and these people talk differently i was like when i moved to the south i was like what the fuck (laughs) it was like another planet (laughs) the food was good but i I couldn't understand anybody for like the first month i'm like Mm -hmm. what the hell did he say what y'all doing and we all talk like auctioneers yeah (laughs) jesus and then and then everything is slow they talk slow. And now they his do southern slips out slow. from time to time. It's hilarious. In yeah. <laughs> 20 years down there, I was slow. <laughs> I didn't go down and try to change them into, into Michiganders. No. No. Went down there. I'm like, all right. I Went guess I'm wrong. a Tar Heel now. Let me yeah. figure out how to do this shit mm-hmm. and not be a fake ass. Yep. You know, so I worked at a brickyard. Doesn't get any more more real than that. No. Coming home looking like a coal miner with grease and dirt and, and the brick whites of my eyes oh showing. Oh my god, red dust on everything. You know, and it was hard work. It's manual yeah. labor. You know, red clay stains everything it touches too. It's yeah. crazy. To yeah. go from working DOC, whereas mm-hmm. you know, you, even though it could be a nasty environment. Most of the time, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, you know, when you get a little blood on you once in a while, it's all right. <laughs> uh, to to go to work at the brickyard, uh, which was you know just nothing but dirt and hot and miserable ball besting work and dangerous machinery and uh, electrical room that hadn't been updated since 1918. <laughs> it looked like a museum. Oh. I'm like safety shit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And, and so <laughs> some of the things that you see in these places, don't get enmeshed and admired in them. Just see them. Just see them and 
let it be a passing fancy. You know, and I think that's the problem is that we get in the mindset of the people that we surround ourselves with mm. and we're stuck in our in our comfort zone. Don't ever be stuck. Keep finding new avenues, new people, new ways of thinking, new personalities to engage with and broaden your horizons so that you're ready for anything that comes. And I think that's I think that's part of the problem, and why we all get so knocked down by things that happen on the you know on the world scene because we are so insular and we are so close minded. I've been there. I was one of those people. Oh yeah, yeah. we both were. And yeah. so <clears throat> you have to grow. Open up. <clears throat> open up. To know. To dare. To will. To, to keep, to keep silent. silent. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day. Love you. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of In the Weeds, and we hope you didn't have to pick too much pucker brush off your cloak after visiting with us here. If you liked the episode, please follow, subscribe, and share. And if you're really kind, leave a positive review. Be sure to tune in next week as we publish a new episode weekly. If you're in the area, stop by the store and see us. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.